0: Hello and welcome to episode number 83 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Bruchel, helping you discover your science to optimize your life. And today's guest is Sally Jones Tyndall. She's a pilot, researcher, and career astronaut who has her name on the wall of honor at the Smithsonian. And today's episode is all about how everyone has what it takes to be an astronaut and what the real underlying mission of Advancing X is. You know, at this point, you guys may or may not have tuned into the previous two episodes with Eleanor and Alejandro Advancing X. So you may or may not know what it means to be and what it takes to be a career astronaut. But today we really get to dig into the underlying mission and we get to explore Sally's incredible background, her mission, and how truly everyone has what it takes to be an astronaut. The role that diversity plays in being an astronaut. Anyway, I'll leave it at that for now. I want to give you guys. An idea of where I am right now, where I'm headed, because it's pretty funny. Honestly, it's a major stepping stone in my personal and professional life before we dive into this wonderful show with Sally. So right now I'm in the airport in Miami, MIA, and I'm in a three by maybe eight foot space with a low ceiling. It's very private and it's almost the perfect space to host a podcast. Can you guess where I am? I'll give you a moment. Okay, well, if you haven't guessed already, I am in a breastfeeding room. <laughs> That's right. I had to finagle my way in here to record this intro, and I charmed the staff to let me in. I said, I'm not yet a mom. I'm not yet breastfeeding, but I would love to borrow the space. And they said, sure. So here I am. <laughs> and I'm headed to North Carolina. To spend the next 10 days with Benny Greenfield and his twin boys. We're going spearfishing for a week. We're actually going to be living out in a research tower that's 32 miles offshore. It's called the Frying Pan Tower. For those of you who want to look it up, it's considered the most dangerous hotel on earth. And the only way to get up and down is with a swing and a pulley system. And it's like 80 feet in the air that you're dangling above the water, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by fish, and sharks. <laughs> so it should be a really good time. should be the trip of a lifetime. Now, those of you who know who Ben Greenfield is, those of you who know me, you know how much this means to me. And I felt that this would be a very fun way to surprise you guys. Those of you who listen to the podcast, at least, you guys are my very special listeners. So anyway, a little surprise there going to be spending the next few days with Ben and his twin boys. Nice little coming of age trip for them. I spent the past year planning it. Should be a lot of fun. I brought the drone. I brought all the podcasting gear, the cameras. We're going to document everything. They don't know that. I'm just going to surprise them. So uh, stay tuned because we'll be having Ben on the show soon and you guys keep in touch with me through social media. You'll be seeing all kinds of videos, pictures, and then we'll, of course, uh, publish everything else on YouTube. So I think that's enough about me and Ben. And now let's go ahead and shift gears and jump right into this episode with Sally. I want to say that I really appreciate not just her transparency and her storytelling, but the underlying intention and how she uses transparency and storytelling to engage the people she hopes to inspire, to inspire them to get involved in space exploration and space science and space missions, and how really being an astronaut is less exclusive. And people think the barrier of entry is honestly realistic for a lot of people, relatively speaking. A lot of what it takes to be an astronaut are skills that you develop after you've expressed the interest. So today's show will show you really what it takes and why it's important that everybody sees themselves as an astronaut. So hopefully this will inspire some of you. And that being said, I will see you guys on the other side. Being a working professional is not for the faint of heart, even if you're doing what you love every single day, like I get to do, doing the podcast, the coaching, creating scientific content, writing articles, collaborating with some of my favorite brands. Believe me, that's a dream in a lot of ways, and I'm sure that's the case for a lot of you, or you guys are taking the steps towards that kind of lifestyle and professional life. But let me tell you that it's, it's extremely, extremely challenging, and it's not always fun. But it's the hard work that is typically the important work. But nevertheless, that stress does contribute to a number of deficiencies. One of the primary deficiencies being magnesium. Like I said, there's a lot of stress involved in the daily grind. And if you're not careful, that stress can start to take a toll on your body, not only draining you of that vital energy, but making you magnesium deficient. And this deficiency can lead to higher levels of anxiety, irritability, trouble sleeping, and low energy. It can even contribute to muscle cramps. That's why I recommend you supplement with magnesium daily. I did a whole podcast on this with Wade Lightheart, episode number 56. And you can experience a number of positive health benefits just from getting enough magnesium, including better sleep, more energy, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, stronger bones, reduced muscle cramping, even fewer migraines. But to experience these health benefits, you have to get the right kinds of magnesium. There's actually seven unique forms and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming stress relieving benefits. That's why I only, and I do mean only, recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes all seven forms of magnesium in one bottle. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, you can go to www.mag, that's M-A-G, breakthrough com slash undress. For easy access, I will include it in the show notes. All you have to do is click to make your order. In addition to the discount you get by using promo code undress, that's A-N-D-R-E-S, you can unlock special gifts with purchase with retail values of at least $20. This is a limited time offer for select orders. So go to magbreakthrough.com slash undress right now. And I hope that you guys enjoy these amazing, amazing benefits. Sally, here we are. Welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: So, Sally, can you tell us a little bit about why you do what you do?
1: Your listeners will hate this answer, but it's because we can. And there's a lot of documentaries that interview mountain climbers and ask them why they do it, why they climb the mountain, and they say, because it's there. I was really, really fortunate to have two older brothers that raced cars. And so we were very competitive and flying was the only thing that I could think of that was faster. So <laughs> I was probably 12 years of age and my brothers were racing cars that had 350 horsepower engines. And I came home from my very first flight and it had a 370 horse, 375 <laughs> horsepower engine. So I beat them and I was 12. So I was I was born into a family where there was no boys' jobs or girls' jobs. There was just jobs that needed to be doing, which for that era and the time was very modern. And I'm very thankful for that. So I am here because I was foolishly raised to not be pre-programmed that there was a limit for me. If you just set your mind to it, you're just going to do it.
0: And so the career aspirations and the steps that you took came naturally to you. Whereas for most people, because they had these limiting beliefs, It feels unnatural to do something that is beyond the norm.
1: I never speak on behalf of most people because I'm not most people. I'm me. And I definitely know that I process information differently to other people. I get picked on a lot for this. I'm very self-conscious of this and I'll give a direct example, if I may, is uh, I was at a restaurant one time with a friend and the waitress came up to us afterwards and said, well, here's a survey if you would like to make any comments and feedback about changes to the menu. and They wrote something down and They knew, because I just processed data differently, that my response was going to be ridiculous. And I'm still writing stuff down and the waitress is looking very confused. And she picks up my friend's response and looks at it and goes, very good, and picks up my response and just sort of goes very pale and looks at me and goes, What? And of course, I process data differently. And so the question was, Would you like to make any changes to the menu? And I looked at it and it was blue font on red paper and that I knew the frequency of the, those colours cancel each other out. So, the menu was quite difficult to read. So, I'm writing a thesis on font and presentation and I'm like, what What should have I written? And I looked at my friend's response and she was like, I'd like more steak dishes. I'm like, oh. Oh, so I can't, I, I'm never going to be so brazen as to answer a question as to how does normal society think one I don't believe in the term normal but I always know that I am on some sort of spectrum that has not yet been quantified when it comes to why do I do the things that I do and I think I've got a lot of friends that would agree with that and go yeah they kind of broke the mold when they made her so don't include her in the bell curve of anything because I'm always off the chart
0: so I have I have a better question for you <laughs> okay I have a I have a better question for you how do you get away with being the way you are?
1: You just own being silly. It is okay to be different. And I think that's where I do like podcasts and motivational speaking and my peer review and going into schools because it's okay to not be the most popular person in school and I wasn't. It's just, if once you're comfortable in the skin that you're in, and I think I'm out the other side of, you know, I'm a mum now. And so, I really, I've lost that ability to care about what other people think this is the shell that carries me through my day it's gotten me this far so it's got to be doing okay and once you forgive yourself and just I'm always pushing myself to be better I don't sit back and go well there's nothing I can do this is you know the hand that I've been dealt but I just think if you forgive yourself and allow yourself to embrace I'm different and then look out into society and meet all the other different people then it's a ride and it's fun And then you're not so hard on yourself.
0: So how, to be more specific, and and with my question, how can being, how does being yourself make you better?
1: That's a really hard question. I'm not happy sitting still, so I'm always looking for improvement. So I think that is why being me makes me, I don't want to be better. I just want to, everyone asks me, why do I do all these different things? I keep saying to them, I just want to find something that I'm good at. So I'll keep trying all these things until I find something I'm good at. And it's because my two older brothers were national champions at their sport as kids. And my dad was a brilliant ski. Like everyone in my family are superstars. And I'm like, oh, I just do science. So I'll keep doing that then.
0: And how do you define how good you are? The things that you do. How do you know when you're good at something?
1: I think I'm I'm average at everything. I don't like the attention being on myself. And if I do anything as a team, I'll I'm always the loudest. I can't stop that. But then I'll always step back and let the attention be on someone else. And I don't know. I. I've, i I definitely have never been the best at anything. I try.
0: So what, what do you think it is about you specifically that has taken you to these areas in a career where objectively speaking, I mean, these are some of the most talented human beings in the world. Yeah. Why do you think it makes sense to have someone like you or really just you in that space?
1: I think that actually, it's—he's uh, going to kill me for calling him out on this. I, I used to work with this most magnificent flight attendant by the name of Chris Parrish, who used to call me the conduit, and I never understood what it meant until I was always getting in trouble for getting involved in everyone else's drama, mending things, fixing things, and I'm like, oh yeah, I—I I am the conduit, aren't I? I'm always seen at the scene of the crime. I'm always there. My former manager, actually, when I was on maternity leave having my son, rang me up and said, There are people saying they still had a beer with you in the crew room last night, and I know you're in hospital having a baby. Like everyone still associates me with everything because I'm very social and I do like to be a part of everything and I don't like to miss out on any, everything. But I've got, even before I became a mum, I, I still had a very much a mum hat. I liked to check in on everyone, take care of everyone. And even in science and space and extreme sports, there is still that when even, you know, my scuba diving fraternity, there is someone that will be, they'll hate me for saying this, the mum hat, the the, someone who is just cross-checking everything more so than everyone else. And I think that's, I'm always that person.
0: So I often describe my mom as as an octopus. You know, she has all these; she has eight tentacles. She can do all these different things so well at the same time, and it's almost like it's it's innate, right? Having all these tentacles. And so, do you think that in order to work in a team and to to be so integrated and involved with the rest of your team, that you need to have these overarching abilities so that you can manage people, understand them, and therefore be the octopus that's hanging on to all these different things, like does having more tentacles allow you to be a better team member or does being a better team member mean just simply highlighting one specific strength and assuming everyone else does their own individual, uh, plays their own individual role.
1: Firstly, you had no idea that the octopus is my favorite animal. So I love the fact that you've brought that up. Um, (laughs) but to answer your question is there is Everyone is a perfect member of the team. They just need the right leader. And I think that's where Advancing X is amazing because it's optimizing the perfect team and it will put you with your perfect team. So that allows every human being to know that they are special and they are great and there is a team for them. And to answer your question more specifically, I think the octopus metaphor is the most ideal leader because we still need to go into our scientific environments with subject matter experts who are so specialised in their nitty-gritty field that they know nothing else. They might not have any street smarts, but they know everything they need to know about that robot and that's their speciality. They need an octopus leader overseeing to make sure their rest is being monitored. They, they know where their crew quarters are. They know what Experiments that they can touch, what's experiments they can't touch. I think the octopus makes a great leader, which is why they're not great, they're not the best at everything. And there'll be airline captains all around the world hearing this that you cannot be the best at everything, you cannot micromanage everything. The best leader is the one that can step back, gather the data, and go, You tell me your opinion, what did you hear, what did you smell? And they make the decisions based on gathering all the data around them, but they certainly don't know the most about everything. They're just very good decision makers. So I think your octopus metaphor is the perfect description of a leader,
0: or oh, a wow. captain. Well, what what a coincidence! That's uh, that's 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 very lovely to see. I mean, I don't think it's really a coincidence, but very very nice to, to hear that uh, you resonate with that analogy. And I'm wondering, you know, when you approached Advancing X did this position just make sense to everyone across the board as much as it made sense to you?
1: (laughs) I'm going to get into so much trouble. Nothing (laughs) made sense when we joined Advancing X because it was shrouded in mystery at first and that appealed to me greatly. And there have been a lot of commercial space flight businesses starting up exactly the same where you just jump in having no idea where it's going and who's backing it and who's running it. And I just fortunately had an aerospace colleague in the human factors field that knew of Dr. Diaz and said, this guy's a genius. You really kind of want to stick with him. I'm like, okay. And I've never regretted that decision once, despite the many ridiculous challenges he sent me on. So... For me, I had just turned 40 when the applications came up and any chance to get back into space thinking that my chance was done with the grounding of the space shuttle program, I was going to have a go at it. And I started having a go at it thinking, I'm probably going to be too old, but I'm really quite happy to support anyone else who's going to make it. I just wanted to be a part of it and that's still my mindset because now that i've met the new candidates they're extraordinary so i'm still i still go and do the training thinking that i'm probably going to end up being their support and that's okay because it's such an honor to still be a part of this process and then every year i still i'm still there so <laughs> fingers crossed
0: and when when you You mentioned, you know, nothing made sense when you approached Advancing X. And is that the case for anybody coming into the program?
1: No, now where thanks to podcasts like this and all of their exposure, the original six crew of which I'm one of them, we all get contacted almost daily on LinkedIn and social media of various kinds and asked questions. And of course, we can't tell them what the challenges are when you get sent on training, a lot of them are stress tests. So, if you know what you're going to be asked to do, then it's corrupting the data. So, we we try and, and be as helpful as we can, but also knowing that we're all part of this same program where it's behavioral team optimization and so sometimes you need to get put in a stressful situation to see how you behave in the team so you can be paired up with the correct crew for the correct experiments for the correct mission and so most of the people who will apply are scientists and understand that and they understand that they just want to know i get asked more commonly than anything is is ed a real person yes he is Met him many times, chat to him weekly. Wait, wait, you
0: seriously, you, you that's a serious question.
1: Oh, it's a serious question that I get asked. And then when you meet him, you'll absolutely know no, he was an alien put on this planet. That man is ridiculous. There he's <laughs> he's gonna and he's gonna, yeah. He's actually gonna be complimented probably by that because he's so bizarre. But um I yeah, I get asked had, all the time, is he real? I had him on a
0: on the podcast a little while back, and it was probably to this day the funnest podcast that I've ever done. I don't think I've ever laughed more on a podcast. Was he wearing his coral pink shirt? uh, I can't remember. That was like like a year and a half ago. But (laughs) I mean, odds are if he wears it all the time, I mean, it's likely. But you know what's unfortunate is that – and you think a guy that is so intimately involved in space would have a good Wi-Fi connection. (laughs) But his Wi-Fi wasn't wasn't very good and I couldn't publish the episode because there were so many audio interruptions.
1: There is actually his last few LinkedIn videos that he's released have all got me talking in the background, which is just ridiculous. But we were in Lake Tahoe doing some neutral buoyancy training and some of his media staff they're asking us some really serious questions and, of course, some of my scuba diving friends, they're really interested in some of this stuff that we do because we go diving with no fins on and that's really weird for the diving community. So they're asking me these questions and I'm really wanting to answer it and he just comes walking past with a dollar bill and he goes <laughs> – he just ruins the interview and I'm like, science is serious, mate. I'm trying to be serious. Like, science isn't serious. Like, come on, we're going to do this. Like, he just – He's broken the mould on space and it doesn't have to be doom and gloom and everyone – I mean, we thought SpaceX had set a new bar by having everyone at the launch cheering and hooping and hollering in the background and that's amazing, but Dr. Diaz takes it to a whole new level of – it encompasses that perfect definition of genius and madness because he really is super clever but also on that spectrum he needs to have an equal amount of fun to balance out the genius but that's my own personal opinion of the man
0: yeah and, and you know what i've seen across the across the board with all of you guys astronaut candidates and and and, and training under advancing x is you guys are so personable you guys are easy to talk to you guys are so much fun and it's beautiful because it really allows us to get in touch I mean for, 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 the, for the average person. It allows us to see that to really look up to you guys because if you do these amazing things but you're just extraordinary to the point where you don't even seem human, then it doesn't seem realistic and' it doesn't very it doesn't seem like it's really something that you can drive genuine inspiration from. So the fact that you guys are so talented but also so personable makes this that much more special. And so my I think it's because really,
1: you're talking to us individually. When you get us <laughs> in a room, we're like siblings. <laughs> and he knows that I mention this on every interview I do, but do you know that there are people going to space who are geologists?
0: Yeah, oh, ge- yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: So I, I always I always pick on my favorite geologist in in my family, Augustus hey, mate, because we got paired up together on our first ever challenge. And I was actually just showing my partner this morning photographs that I can't release because it was on a challenge. But there's a picture of me and Cesare. G'day, Cesare. And we're actually picking on Augustus by licking rocks because that's what we think that's all geologists do is lick rocks and so you don't (laughs) want to see how juvenile us highly gifted as you allegedly put it people can be when we get together and we start picking on each other's specialty because it gets very juvenile and then you will not think that we are special (laughs) at all we are just normal people who just followed a passion for a subject and that's all it should be.
0: Got it. And can you, if for the folks who maybe haven't listened to the previous episodes, can you tell us a little more about exactly what Advancing X is and what it's accomplishing?
1: I can. Basically, in 2015, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Eduardo Diaz did a thesis on optimum team design. And basically, he wanted to quantify human behavior. And for those of you who don't think behavior is predictable, I'm a psychologist. Uh, Yes, it is. I know you can still feel special as a human being, but a lot of our behaviours and the way we react as humans is predictable. And so Ed did this amazing team thesis where he could take groups of people and observe them doing a task and then reassess them. And he can guarantee, and he will correct me, but I think it's now to like a 99.1% success rate, that he can pick the optimal team to do that task the best. And so people will be listening to this and they'll go so how do you use that. Now where the man I believe is a genuine genius is he could have quite easily taken this research and gone into big companies, a big computer consortiums with thousands of staff members and just made millions of dollars going through the human resources department and reshuffling staff so they all work together and they get along and they're more productive and they're having more fun and that means the bottom dollar is We're getting more work done, and we're saving more money, and we're being more productive. But he chose not to. Like, he knew he was onto something amazing, and he decided to really go, where's the furthest out I can go with this research, which is, I'm going to tell the space people that they've been doing it wrong all this time, and I'm going to tell them that I can pick a better team than the other institutions that I will not name. And he's right, we've been, I've been working with him for about five years now, and he knows there are some challenges where you absolutely can tell what he's doing and you know that you're being paired up with people that you are not going to get along with. And he sits back and watches and you just see him laughing in the distance, like, because it's data to him. It's, it's a real scientist. That's a mad scientist. From, a yeah, mad scientist. Yes. It's cool. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm obviously from the behavioral sciences. So, of course, I'm going to say it's cool and that I love that part of the work. But for us... It really does mean that you can take, you know, you asked what's on the horizon. It means that we can take regular people, of course, everyone, I believe, including myself, is a regular person, and put them in space, but put them in space with their right village, the right person that's going to support them, whether it's space tourism or people doing space cinematography. And we know that there are some massive companies on the horizon building modules to go into space to do that, space science for medicine. And so, all of those people will need space professionals trained but also space babysitters, space mums and dads to look after them because it's still scary. It's still a dangerous environment. And so, this optimal team design is the perfect program that you must go through to make sure that when you go and have that experience, that it's going to be the most enjoyable experience for you because we always say in aviation, it's better to be on the ground wishing you were up there than to be up there wishing you're on the ground. And the last thing you want to do is to be in space with a crew that you are not getting along with.
0: Wow, that last line there really gave me chills. Can you tell me what how do you test the efficacy of this kind of algorithm? How do you know that, all right, you've got the right team, but how do you actually test the level of productivity the joy beyond the objective measures? You know, sure, maybe the number and the data represented, but do you see the efficacy across the board? Do people really feel their best when they're in these teams?
1: I certainly do. There's certainly people that if I know that I'm getting paired with for a challenge, I don't even care what the challenge is. I know I want to so desperately say their names, but then I know that's going to offend the other people in the Candidacy, that, so I'm going to not say their names, but you know who you are. That when I get paired with them, I don't even care what the challenge is. I just know we are going to have the most fun. We're going to get the job done. Um, and we actually saw that because in 2019 was crew one, and we were in Lake Tahoe again, and we did some neutral buoyancy training. And I'm fairly sure I'm going to be allowed to say this, but if not, you're going to get a call very quickly. And we've got these amazing safety divers, Rich and Critter, and I'm allowed to say their names, Hi, Rich and Hi, Critter. And they pulled my dive for safety reasons. And at the time, I was furious because I just didn't understand why couldn't I keep doing the challenge and the experiment and the thing that we were being asked to do. And then, of course, just last year, I'm back in Lake Tahoe back with Rich and Critter and we're underwater and since then I'd absolutely fallen in love with diving and just become obsessed with there was no way my dive was being pulled like no one touches my dive and we got this challenge which I absolutely can't talk about and we smashed it like Ed barely even got the GoPro pressed to start recording and we'd done the task and he's just like you guys are freaks like I just and we knew it we just knew we had been training the whole time to not ever have the situation that we had on crew one and we had a new crew member in in our team blue and we just smashed it and that's just I'm really proud of that but Ed already knew that that's what was going to happen by assessing us and just knowing that this team works better and so it's that data and that confidence in a science that I have no doubt that Advancing X is going to be able to train up hundreds of thousands of people who want to learn about space and mission control and industry and, and where we can take space and, and be successful. So now
0: that you've seen the benefits of applying science and this algorithm to relationships and teams related to space, related to your projects at Advancing X, what have you learned about that that carries over to relationships outside of Advancing X? Ooh. All of a sudden, is everyone else just like not a good person, not a good fit, not a good friend? Or or have you learned no, through this no, kind of what you, that-
1: No. Oh, thank you. I really want to clear that up because it, everyone's a good person. Everyone's a good person. What the training does is they find the village for you. Everyone on this planet have qualities and just fantastic traits, but you're always the bad guy in someone's story, and that's okay. You can't change your life to be perfect in everyone's story. That's not right, and what the... OTI does is it finds your village for you. And, you know, how wonderful is it if you think back to high school or university at a time where you were a little bit lost and you hadn't found your village? How lovely is it to find your village? Yeah, and your
0: click, yeah.
1: You actually said something just then. Please don't give Ed the idea. You said, how does it improve relationships? If he puts OTI into a dating app, that man is going to be so filthy rich, right? <laughs> like that is don't even tell him that. That would be nuts.
0: You know what's hilarious is I actually asked him on our podcast about it's such a perfect way to make the match. Like what if you have astronauts falling in love in space? And and he freaked out when I asked him this.
1: <laughs> I actually I heard that podcast. I've listened to that. I was laughing very hard. If you you can only just look at the astronaut list, there are husband and wife astronauts. They don't get scheduled to go into space at the same time for obvious PG reasons at home, kids. Um, but also, you, you know, when you're in a relationship and you're working so closely with someone, you have to separate home and work. So that's not to say that there has not ever been conflict in space. I think if you look up any any data about Skylab, there's some really really good data about conflict in space. But I think where we're we're leading with this type of science is if we can prevent that from happening by putting a group of people in space that have already trained together, have already had their attributes assessed and their stresses measured against one another, then it is the optimum team. OTI is optimal doesn't mean it's the perfect team. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any conflict. And of course sometimes You've got to take away the nice with the practical and sometimes you have to just go. If there's something broken, you have to go and fix it and there might be a culture there that you don't necessarily understand. So there's some conflict, whether it's language barriers and we try and resolve that with, you know, the international languages of English and Russian but you can never completely eliminate conflict and so then there is a lot of training in conflict resolution, and at least in aviation aerospace, there is as well, and also there is a, a hierarchy system, and so that's why predominantly a lot of space crew were military, because you need to know that at the end of the day, if you can't resolve conflict, you must just revert to rank and trust that system. But there's a lot of training done in that.
0: Okay, and Eduardo was taking me through not just the the idea that you can find the right team members, but you can also Take a team and decide whether you need to add or subtract people from that team. Yeah, and I made a joke towards the end of the podcast. He was interested in meeting my girlfriend, who's well-versed in yoga and in breath work. And I asked him if he could apply the team algorithm to our team, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely." And I was like, "All right, just please don't add anybody." <laughs> and he lost it. He, lo- I've never seen, I've never seen someone so professional laugh so hard. But serious question though, when it comes to adding or subtracting, how do you guys handle that? And how do you work around the emotions that may be tied to, you know, between me- team members? Does it all of a sudden make sense when you need to add someone? Is it something that just kind of comes naturally when we need to subtract someone? Are there any hard feelings? Do you manage that? Like, How does that work?
1: Every bone in my body right now wants me to look straight down the camera and says mud wrestling. Ed makes us mud wrestle each other and then decides like, but you're going to edit that out because he, like, yes, we have jelly wrestling. It's, Ed and I are very similar and we always get red carded with some of the answers that we give. I guess I'm just a piece of the puzzle. So I, I don't know when something needs to be added or subtracted. We are just ingredients to a recipe and we're not special. You know, we, we're not. If you are a multi-gazillion dollar company and you want to do an experiment in space, there are probably 5 people on the planet that are trained to do that experiment in space so they get picked and you will see if you look at any of the crew schedules that someone will be announced and then 6 months later they're scrubbed and it's another crew and it's very frustrating but it's not personal it's business you know what powers rockets money so it's one of those things that if, as soon as you realize it doesn't matter if you've been training your whole life for this, at the end of the day, if your launch gets scrubbed because someone else came along with more money because their experiment, their research was more important, that's business. And so I'm not sure I can answer that about how do you know when to add one or less or take away, because my job is to just go and do my job. I actually don't care who comes along or who doesn't come along. I'm still going to do my job. It's just so lovely that there is someone doing the science to try and make the teams as enjoyable as possible, as pleasant as possible. Because we're now talking six months plus in space and we're still trying to solve the optic nerve paradigm and all the things that happen to the human body with long duration space missions but we've got great people you know like the kelly brothers experiment that have just contributed to science profusely to try and solve these problems but i i'm not fit to answer that question because i'm just one piece of the puzzle
0: right and before i would love to learn more about these experiments and some of the problems that you have to face on longer duration space missions but i'm curious you know when you take when you take a team like this and you build these relationships are those relationships that are maintained for future missions or is it just for very particular very specific missions like in a one-off scenario
1: so we all have our own individual skill sets and we meet every year for training and we also liaise quite a bit outside of that time so, and and any of my aviation crew that listen to this will absolutely know, you can go on a trip with a crew and just have an experience that you will never forget. And four years later, you might be on the same flight, be with the same crew, and you'll absolutely pick up where you left off and remember the conversation that you had when you're all last together. That is optimum team design. That is, that's just crew. So... you you might train with with a group of people and then never get to go into space with them because that experiment wasn't picked or that research then had no no merit or someone else already published so the funding got pulled. And so you really just need to stay in your own lane and be the best version of yourself and just know that where people put together in a confined space is going to create... An interesting event but I'm relieved to know that there's this science going on in the background that I now trust that when I go and it's not if now it's when I go with Advancing X that the team that is selected will be the most efficient team we can possibly achieve and so then that's calming you just know that you're with the best people but I've trained with all of them now and they are they really are the best people they're extraordinary people.
0: It's really cool to connect with each and every one of you guys and to imagine what it must be like to have you all in the same place at the same time doing something that you you
1: wouldn't get a word in like it's just, you just wouldn't.
0: <laughs> and so can you tell us a little more about these problems that arise when you're up in space for long periods of time, whether they're psychological or physiological or mechanical? What are some of the things that you guys have to prepare for, anticipate and and, and yeah, just keep in mind before you embark on these missions?
1: So at the moment, a lot of the research that's being done is on the optic nerve paradigm. Uh, We're sort of looking at the fact that when we get to Mars, there's a fairly high chance that the astronauts will be vision impaired because here on Earth, our vascular system, our nerves and our blood vessels are under the influence of gravity. And so we're up on our feet during the day. And so we're only horizontal for about eight hours when we sleep. And so, that puts pressure on the optic nerve. And so, what we've found with spaceflight and space research that a lot of the astronauts that are up there for greater than six months will come home with some sort of shape change to their eyeball. And you might have seen a lot of pictures of astronauts with this device up to their eye. And that's continuing to add to the research every time we go is we're working on ways to to fix the optic nerve paradigm. We're working on ways to artificially create gravity. So you would have seen some of the Arthur C. Clarke-esque designed space stations from people like Orbital. So there are ways to mitigate and make a, a gravity to, to reduce these. But of course, all of these individual problems that are being solved are being solved by their own design team under their own non-disclosures, trying to do their own research. We've got a lot of a lot of people in scuba are trying to do research into accelerated decompression at the moment. To leave the airlock, it's not like it's in the movies. You can't just put the spacesuit on and open the front door. It's about four hours to, to decompress to go on a spacewalk. And in 2012, I think it was accelerated decompression was... Trialed and so they tried a one hour decompression and then they subsequently reverted back to the four hour one. So I'm not sure whether or not they just deemed that that was too risky to perhaps give the astronauts the bends or some sort of decompression sickness. But there's all of that science going on always. You know, consumables, then there's the psychology of how do you be away for so long and still not lose your mind, and so there's a lot of science in virtual reality, the goggles, taking yourself to wherever you want to be, and so that's where it just shows that you don't just have to be a test pilot now to go to space. You can be a botanist, an archaeologist, a geologist, a psychologist, a chef. So the concept of what do you have to do now to be an astronaut when I go into schools and I talk to kids, I always just say just be yourself. That's all you need to be now, just be you.
0: And so beyond having this desire and passion for space and, you know, what what does it actually take beyond being yourself? What is it what are the physical and psychological characteristics that you need to maintain and and, and enable in your day-to-day life to in order to be at that level? Like what does it really take?
1: Look, you need to be fit, you need to be slightly crazy, you need to have a thirst for knowledge and adrenaline, and that's just because of the standards that are currently in place you know back in the 60s you you must be a test pilot to go so everyone went out and said okay I'll be a test pilot still for the moment you need to be able to survive a rocket launch and then more importantly the re-entry so you need to be fit you need to be strong you need to have multiple skill sets because If something fails or if there's an incapacitation with one of the other crew members, you need to step up and actually know their job well enough to do that. So, you do need to have interests in diverse fields. You need to actually network. You know, no one's going to just ring you up out of the blue and say, would you like to go to space? So, you actually need to put yourself out there like this, like podcasts and going into schools and say, hey, I'm going to be an astronaut. And there's a, a really awesome guy by the name of Josh Richards. Hey Josh in Mount Gambia, who's a ridiculously good cave diver. And and he was shortlisted for Mars One, which is sorry, a program
0: sorry. that I need to interrupt you. What is a cave diver?
1: What is a cave diver? Oh my god, Andre. Okay, so you know the 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 thirteen boys that got stuck in the cave in Thailand?
0: Yes, yes, okay.
1: So cave divers are the crazy people, Craig Challen, Rich Harris, hi, that went in and rescued them. So cave okay. diving is like voluntarily people scuba dive in caves.
0: Okay. I I, I assumed, yeah, I, I figured that's what it was. I just want to make sure for the people tuning in who may not be familiar with these crazy kinds of uh, hobbies and passions and uh, yeah. work life that other folks have. I've seen those videos on YouTube and every time I watch them, I... Get goosebumps. I mean, I get that adrenaline rush. I can't imagine what it's like to do the real thing.
1: Well, they liken it. Where, you know, it's descending in the black, and you feel weightless, and you've got nothing around you to give you orientation it's likened to being in space and actually it would have been in the 60s. The first American spacewalks were not very successful until Buzz Aldrin actually tried for a spacewalk and he was an avid scuba diver and he redesigned a lot of the Gemini capsules with handholds and things because of his ability to move slowly and deliberately underwater and then that's actually Buzz has had a huge influence on the neutral buoyancy program because of his expertise in scuba diving and then all the others that came along so there is a tremendous link between scuba and going to space in fact all the candidates at advancing x dive and we must dive to do some of our neutral buoyancy training i just took it to a level because i fell in love with diving
0: i mean when you consider that most of our world is underwater and this is the best way to enjoy that world. I mean, it's it's calm. It's you get. I mean, I'm, I'm a freediver, and I love that I get to do this in a way that are. feels very, very natural and minimalistic. But I think what's cool about scuba diving is you can go so much deeper, and you can be there so much longer.
1: Well, not if you follow the world record holders. Like I was diving a wreck a couple weekends ago. And there is nothing more humiliating on this planet that I've probably got, I reckon, 80 pounds worth of gear on my back, probably if like 40 kilos, Australians. You had a free diver come down on you? I had a freediver diver come. And I'm like, look at this mammalian yeah. god yes. with nothing on, how dare you and there's nothing more demoralizing (laughs) than just seeing this majestic human specimen swim past you and then people are podcasting me going so why are you special I am not I need three (laughs) tanks on my back I am nothing
0: oh my goodness yeah I love freediving. it's very freeing very and I'm scuba certified but I feel like when I'm scuba diving I I feel like I, I have like a you know, a, a chain tied to my ankle. I can't. I don't. I can't move around as quickly. I can't engage with the environment the way that I want to engage with it. But the benefit is, I do get to be down there longer. So it makes it makes it and you can go way deeper. I have friends that do uh, like commercial diving for a grouper, and they'll go yeah. down like two hundred plus feet, and you yeah. can see their GoPro videos. And that's it. That's a different planet than what I know. Different planet.
1: But that's the joy of it. So you know, there's. There are people on this planet that, you know, I call them aquanauts and they do some of the most extreme diving in the whole world. I liken that to, in fact, that's probably more risky than some of these rockets that are now proven and, you know, have to be mass tested and... Back in the day, we sort of didn't need FAA approval to, to launch a rocket. We just gave it a crack. And now it's because it's so televised and so accessible, we we do need to make it safe because there are people on board. But there there are a lot of similarities between my crazy diving friends and my crazy astronaut friends. So I just don't tell my crazy diving friends to, you know, join the space program because they're highly talented and they'll probably take my spot. So.
0: <laughs> Come on. They're probably maybe they're talented, but maybe they're only talented on one tentacle. Whereas you have eight.
1: Oh, no. I mean, yeah. There are some seriously talented people in the diving industry, but uh, they just don't know how good they are. And, and maybe they don't even know that the option is available to them. But certainly, Advancing X is doing that. It's making space accessible to everyone. And that's what I'm really proud of. And. I still stand by the fact that if it's not me that goes, I've helped a lot of people along the way by letting them know about the program and, but maybe.
0: And let me ask you something to sort of switch gears here for a moment. How do you believe that your relationship with your body, specifically the word in physiology is interoception, your ability to really feel and have this bodily awareness. How do you feel that that skill translates to your abilities in this program?
1: I think that I don't relate to it. My body is just a vessel. It's all about the mind. Everything that we do in this program is all about the mind. We had the most extraordinary experience in Lake Tahoe just last year with some elite Navy SEALs who took us out And again, because we get given limited information, we thought, okay, we're going to train for this. We're going out with the Navy SEALs. They're going to kick our backside. We're going to train and they're going to yell at us and they're going to make us run through mud. And we got to the top of this mountain and they got us to sit down and breathe. And we're all looking at each other like, where's the punchline? That's what it's about is being shocked. Life is not what you thought it was going to be. And What we did learn in that workshop and in that training is how to cleanse your mind and how to push your body to a place that you never knew it was capable of and so you don't think about your body, it's you think about what you've got to get done and that has helped in all facets of other life is the lessons that we're learning on this training is you just never know what life's going to throw at you. And I think that I was so very lucky to have done some training in 2019. I consider myself solely responsible for 2020 because, and I tell a lot of people this, in 2019, I had my first round of astronaut training. I flew my son to Washington and got my name put on the wall of honor at the Smithsonian. And I went to Mount Kilimanjaro. So it was like, there's no way life could get any better. And then 2020 happened. So I'm sorry, planet it's my fault I had such a good 2019 that 2020 had to sort of balance it out but yeah the the things that you learn about yourself in the astronaut training absolutely would not have been able to have gotten me through the last three years so it's definitely the mind
0: so, so, what you're describing is that the things that you learn outside of the program helped you build the necessary resilience to thrive as an astronaut.
1: I think that all the candidates that are accepted are highly resilient people anyway, because we're doing something that the whole world's told us no, for starters. The whole, you know, everyone's seen the right stuff or read Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff. And then they look you up and down and go, that's not you. And so, you you do spend a lot of your life growing up being told no or, you know, trying to be the pinnacle of something is very difficult and you're going up against all these people that I think that by the time we got, the candidates that I've met at least are in the program, we've climbed some metaphorical mountains and so they're already resilient. But then to take that group of people and give them hyper-resilience training makes us superheroes. And so, you know, the the challenges that we faced in 2019 were amazing. And of course, we met Ed and we saw that the, he was real and the pink shirt was real and that the program is real. And then 2020 happened and we were all connected and we are all around the world. And all of a sudden, we were helping each other and we didn't feel alone. And we were in this together. And we learned some very special things that I really hope Advancing X and the data that they capture and their knowledge and their research can be passed on to as many people as possible because it really helped. And, you know, it's just one of those things that knowing how to manage resilience and get yourself up every single day in the face of tremendous adversity is not just something that should be limited to astronauts. It should just be spread to everyone.
0: You know, I have an interesting question for you. It's if you had a group of a hundred people that you never they never met before, what without asking them what they do, what kind of test could you give them to figure out of those one hundred, which one which one of them is an astronaut? Ayola. Wait
1: wait 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 what? Ayola. Nope. <laughs> no, It'll be so I, proud I of hoping, me for this.
0: <laughs> no no, I was you know because- I was I was hoping yeah. I know what you were hoping for, but I still
1: think you're thinking with a 1980s Apple Mac original brain. You put me in a room of 100 people, and I know that all all 100 people are special in some way and have some talent and some skill set that would make them an astronaut. If you're asking me out of the 100 people, how would I pick the leader? How would I pick the octopus? Then – you will see that in all facets of life. You see the people who stop and help an old lady cross the street. You see it in all forms of human behaviour that doesn't have to be words. It can be body language. I certainly look at something called mirroring all the time is when you're looking at someone and they're looking at you and I I noticed that you just nodded, so you're doing something called actively listening. It means that we've related on a values level that whether we like it or not, we're into each other. There's a a respect. There's a a fascination about I'm intrigued because you're going to ask me a tricky question and I'm intrigued by that, but I'm also giving you some answers that are really kind of curving you and you're like oh this is a really crazy lady here right so we're mirroring each other and so we've got this so we're already in a team we we already have figured out that we would work well together you will see a lot of people and there's there's some cultures that would never understand why a red-headed woman is going into space and so they would be like this and they wouldn't be looking at the screen and and that's okay because in you know all the pilot's out there would know we do crew resource management now called non-technical skills which is quite controversial but to learn how to read body language and tone and to read the room and to show up to work and some of your crew they just look different to last time and you might pull them aside and go hey is everything okay because 300 passengers they don't care that you've had a restless night because the baby's not sleeping. They want their free packet of peanuts and they want a safe landing at the other end. And they have every right to want that. So when you sign up for work and you get your crew in the briefing room and you can see someone's off, you have a duty to pull them aside and go, now's the time to step off. Because when we close those doors, you know, our passengers, we owe it to them that they get the full service and we're dialed in. So there's a lot of non-verbal ways that you can make sure that your crew is okay
0: wow you know what i'm starting to think is ed ed and and i think it was yeah ed and victoria approached me and they said hey do you want to interview all the astronauts? i said absolutely oh my god a dream come true and now with what you've told me it almost feels as if he could be testing me right now
1: he would be I mean everything's a test isn't it like it's you're putting yourself out there you're creating content and you're putting it out on the web you're going to get you're going to get the flat earthers we always get the flat earthers and that's okay I have total respect for the flat earthers if they can defend their argument more power to them because it takes all kinds to make this world go round and I just think that we should stop separating people and putting them in boxes and saying you know career's week at school right and they're like you'll make i was always told i'd make an excellent kindergarten teacher and now when i'm in my group with my astronaut candidates and we're all being juvenile and i'm actually momming them i am a kindergarten teacher because <laughs> we're because we are we're all kids and and it's interesting because the most gifted people that i've I've dealt with you know, surgeons and surgical interns and some very highly gifted people that I work with, they're actually all children because I knew that I wanted to be a pilot and an astronaut when I was six years old. I've done nothing else other than train for that. So I have very little street smarts, some very socially stunted social skills. Because we've, we've focused on our specialty. So you get all these highly gifted people in a room together and we are juveniles because we haven't had prom we, we, or a dead ball or whatever it's called in your respective country. We've been doing this our whole life. So we are probably not the best social snapshot of society because we've been isolated doing this tunnel vision project our whole life.
0: And do you think that in order to achieve greatness in any field that resonates with you that you have to be in touch with a sort of inner child?
1: Yeah, I think you just have to not give up. You know, I said this to my son the other day. He he got introduced to 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 strings, to, to music at school and actually got an award in it, was very good at it. And the teacher said, well, is he going to do it this year at school? And I said, no. He said, why? And I said, he never practiced once. He might be naturally gifted at it, but he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't come home and pick up the instrument and want to play it. I'm not going to force him to do it if he has a natural ability. He must find his own joy because it was something that I learned. I had some fantastic teachers in school that said, don't just do a subject because your parents are telling you to do it, or don't just do that subject because you think it's a subject that you have to do to be an astronaut. You must do something in your life that just fills your bucket and brings you joy. And so that's why, to answer your question right from the start, I'm not the best at anything because like what I'm telling my son, he has a natural ability for music, but I'm not going to make him do anything because then there's an extra level of talent and there's an extra level of achievement that comes from when you choose to do it. And and there'll be people who've got Staff in workplaces that will know that if your staff are valued and they know the value of what they're contributing to the office or the work or the project, you're going to get so much more performance out of them if they know what it is that they're contributing versus if you just say this is the deadline and do it. To be valued and to be doing it with joy and fun means that today is actually an annual leave day for me. I'm here because this is my passion. I would talk about this underwater and my dive friends know I do. There is something far more beneficial from telling someone to do what you're passionate about and to do what brings you joy. The only time as adults we see that is in children, is why did they jump in a puddle? Because they had this, like they just wanted to jump in the puddle. We think about the mud and the washing and the cleaning. So I think that if you, if you rewrite your mindset to only follow things that you're passionate about, yeah, you do bring out your inner child, but you also bring out far greater optimal performance.
0: And do you think that having this kind of environment in Advancing X and a lot of this environment and this culture is thanks to this algorithm, but do you think that down the line, the values that you've learned and conversations like these will indirectly influence the masses to appreciate passion, to appreciate relationships in a different way? Is is that a goal that you guys have through these conversations to influence other people regardless of whether or not they're going to go into the Devancing X or another space program?
1: I think that it was one of the Navy SEALs at the training said that they've never heard it put like this before. And so I think this will answer your question is – People ask, and you asked earlier, why do we go? And I think the youth of today know why we're going. We're looking to go because unless we address what we're doing to this planet, we're ruining it. And so we're going to find the backup. Like if we're going to preserve the human species and we are still treating this planet the way we're treating it, we're going to need a backup, and so it doesn't matter if you are going to do the science or you're going to mine on the moon. It, it doesn't matter if you are going for defense and you want laser beams shooting it. This is the only home we've got. We we can't move somewhere else yet. So I think that it's irrelevant. Everything else is irrelevant if we all have this same goal that we need to either do one of two things, protect this house, this planet, or get busy setting up the next one. And the only way to be one of the human specimens that gets to preserve life at the moment is to be an astronaut and put yourself on the list to go there. I want to be a part of that. I'm pro-life. Let's live. Let's... let's. I don't want, you know, 300 million time years time dinosaurs reading a book going who are these humans and there's pictures of us well we won't be on caves but you know what I'm saying is like everything else is irrelevant you, we you only have blew, one place to live
0: you just blew my mind not through the idea that okay yes it makes sense it makes sense and it's something that I think a lot of people know yes it, it makes sense to colonize another planet and to have a backup but the idea that you are curating this backup with this kind of culture, these kind of values, these kinds of teams, these kinds of relationships, that is a planet w- worth preserving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That that yeah. just blew my mind. I need to take a moment just to digest that because now it makes – now every conversation that I've had with you guys makes a little more sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's
1: really the big picture. Look, it really is, and that's why you hear about why is there a military in space? Why is it because it's not the last frontier, it's the only frontier. And so without any form of military or police or oversight, it's anarchy. And so we're not doing a very good job of getting along on this planet. All right, let's let's fix that. If let's Let's put everyone through a program like this. Let's measure everyone's values and behaviours and now let's go forth into the future aligned with like-minded values. And that's not to say that we all have to agree and get along and be the same, but we we certainly have to have same values about the way we treat people, tall, short, gay, straight, fat, thin, colours of the rainbow. Like our blood is still the same colour. Like Let's just, we're human. Let's just treat each other like humans. And so everyone always says, you know, why do you get all philosophical on podcasts? It's like, you don't just spend your whole life training for something to say, I just do it because jet fuel smells cool. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, there has to be a reason why we spend months and months away from our family, why we've missed so many weddings and birthday parties away flying and getting up our hours or studying and it's because there is this big picture that there's this first of all there's this unknown second of all I love science and I love answering the unanswerable but then as I've gotten older and I've seen right Mars Mars is possible Mars has to be possible because this planet may run out of fossil fuels if we keep treating it so poorly so we either need to come together and Stop it or get busy living.
0: Sally, I am so taken aback by this right now. So many things. Everyone listening to this me. will be
1: so disappointed that I actually said something serious. Like my cabinet. No, no, absolutely like She not. had a pop to the head or something.
0: <laughs> I, I think most people are probably going to be just as shocked as I am, especially if they've tuned into the other episodes that I've recorded. And I, I don't know if the right word is shocked, but I think a lot of things just clicked for me and you were finally able to help me see the big picture and to appreciate the weight of it. Because one thing to say, it, it's another thing to really feel it. And the, the, the context that you've painted around this with the team building, with the values, with what it means to be a, a, a leader and a team member, it just it makes all the difference. You know, if you have a conversation about, oh yeah, well, we need to colonize Mars. Oh yeah, oh, this plant. Okay, that's one conversation. But the kind of context and the picture that you've painted makes it make sense. And so I'm, I'm here going, man. Like I need to have more of these conversations with people like you, and help make this mission more accessible, and show people. What and it I think takes. that's
1: why it's so admirable. You know, when I talk about Dr. Diaz Ed, because he really could have like. OTI really could have, he just could have made lots and lots of money going into business and just optimising teams in big business and increasing productivity. But he saw this big picture as well. He saw that if we have a way to quantify human behaviour and get us in our little villages where we're getting along and we're working productively and we're working as optimally as we are for us, there is no right person or wrong person. Then we can go to a new planet or we can go to a space station and we can get along and we can actually fix this problem. We can team up and figure out, all right, what are we doing to either keep this planet or start another one? And we need that because we absolutely cannot go to another planet and make the same mistakes that we're making here. There's not enough planets for us to keep making these mistakes. So we need to come together now. And that's why, you know, because he comes across as so jovial and so fun. But I think you need that to balance out this realisation of this big picture. So, you know, that's that's sort of why we kind of tolerate the, the craziness within the genius of that man.
0: Sally, I have... Loved every conversation that I've had with you guys, but this conversation just ignited something in me that I don't even have the words to express, but I know that I want to be involved in helping this incoming generation, this, this new world, because I'll tell you what, the reason why I do what I do is because I wish I had access to this information early on when I was suffering with my health you know, all the health and fitness stuff is just substance that I think every human being needs to get their hands on to live their best lives. And imagining a culture, a world where this is common knowledge, <laughs> I think it would make the world a much better place. <laughs> so getting to start from scratch and setting that as a fundamental value, as a fundamental knowledge, oh my God, I can't even begin to imagine how far civilization will come. Let's hope. Wow. You've just, cha- you've just changed the game for me.
1: I think Ed did that. Thank, thank I'm just a you. piece of the puzzle.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, really. I can't thank you enough. Um is there if you could let me ask you a, a couple more questions here before we conclude. Is there if you could put a message on a billboard for people. Let's say this is for folks that are in the 18 to 30 year old range, or honestly, you could pick whatever range you see fit, but let's say for young people that want to make the most of their lives, really pursue something that comes from a place of meaning. If you could put a message on a billboard, what would it say? And where would you put that billboard?
1: Oh, it would say you are enough. And I'd put it on social media because <laughs> we are all coming from a place where we tell people get off social media, but it's rubbish. It's rubbish. I'm old, right? I'm thinking with my old hat. Like it's, it's one of those things that I did this crew team building lesson one time and we're all coming together to learn how to appreciate the generations. And I'm like, oh, I'm young. I'm young. I'm going to be good at this. And, and they said, uh, you know, does anyone know what the Concorde is? And this, I won't say no, this flight attendant friend of mine put her hand up and she goes, yeah, I know. I know what the Concorde is. It's a band. And I died. That was the exact moment I knew I was old. And so, you know,
0: cuz
1: <laughs> oh, cuz for the record, youth listening at home it's the coolest plane ever invented. Why was it
0: discontinued? There was a, a an error, was it in the the landing kit? I forget what it was, but
1: Oh, look, was, it was a very, it? a very expensive a very okay. expensive plane to run and there were uh, a couple of there was a, a very famous accident with it, an Air France accident, but um, it was a very uneconomical plane to run and I'm fairly sure in the future we'll come up with a technology that you know is just as cool and makes a plane that looks like it and it will be just as cool but for me that was the generational point where I realised that I don't have any right to tell people to get off social media you know my son's grown up with it I'm going to parent him to be his best version of himself with it we're going to talk about attitudes and perceptions about yourself but as I learnt from the Navy SEALs thanks to them um. Yes, there's a lot of stimulus and stuff coming in, but this is the computer that's controlling you. You are enough. So you put it out there on the billboard that you are enough. You don't need someone to tell you that you take this pill and you're going to lose five pounds by Friday. Who cares? Who says that that's the shape that needs to make you happy? Like, you are enough and stay on social media. It's technology. It's You need to learn to question it. Not all the data that's on it is correct. But if you grow up knowing that you're enough and knowing to challenge everything and ask questions, and you already are an astronaut, because that's what it is. It's challenging and pursuing and pushing and asking why. But we we raise our kids to say, don't ask questions. Nah, it's rubbish. You are enough and put it on social media.
0: Oh, Sally, I, I wish you were here with me in person so I could show you, not just tell you the way that I feel, because you really have me feeling a certain type of way. I can't thank you enough. I can't thank thank you you enough. enough. Like,
1: it's so lovely to come together with like-minded people. It's interesting because when like-minded people chat, it's like, yeah, right. Like, and you're nodding and we're all agreeing and it's, we don't understand that there's any other people on this planet that disagree with this, but there will be. And then I love that part of it because I so value and respect everyone else that wants to, you know, write in and say, oh yeah, you're saving the environment by burning tons and tons of rocket fuel. Well. We're not saving the environment. We're destroying it. I'm picking us a new planet to hopefully continue the species on. But I'm still happy to have those conversations because everyone's opinion is valid. Everyone is special. Everyone has a voice. And I think that we need to ditch that misconception that astronauts are special, unique creatures. We're not. We're exactly the same as everyone else. Everyone is an astronaut.
0: Wow. Sally, I can't thank you enough. And I know that this is just one of many more exciting, inspiring conversations that we're going to have and hopefully just one of many that will impact other people all over the world of all ages and all backgrounds. Because as you've shown me, that's what it takes to be an astronaut and to be good at anything you want to do is to really be yourself and to know that you're enough. So I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I'm looking forward to a lot more. Thank you, Sally.
1: Thanks so much for your time.
0: So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques. And of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, AndresPreschel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.